Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. God is a good God, amen? Praise God. We trust that you had a wonderful Christmas um, holiday and we hope that you enjoyed family and friends or maybe you didn't have family and friends around and you enjoyed the solitude, amen. (laughs) That's okay too. Sometimes we have to do that, amen. Praise God. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me over to the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew, we're going to be in chapter number nine. We'll get to that here in just a moment. <clears throat> As we enter into this new year, I saw something, uh, a little post on um, Facebook kind of caught my attention. It says, the 20s are only a couple days away. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's quite a thing, isn't it? Man, we've lived, we've lived some life here, amen? Praise God. I believe 2020 is going to be a great year. I believe it's a year of growth. I believe it's a year God's going to build. I believe he's going to do great things uh, in people's lives and homes and families and in the church, amen? And I believe he's going to do something powerful. Several prophecies have gone out. Um, that God is going to actually do a sovereign move. Amen. Uh, the, if, you, if you follow any of Christianity and Christian ease and all of that, uh, there has been several prophecies that have come forth that, that God is going to do something because he's God. Amen. <laughs> Don't you love it when he does stuff? Amen. I want to be a part of that. I want to flow with that. And so as we enter into 2020, we're only a couple days away. And so I want to kind of set the tone a little bit. Um, you know, I want to enter in with a thought. And this really is kind of a reminder. Um, sometimes, how many know from time to time it's necessary to remind ourselves of what we're doing here? And, you know, I... I, I think it's necessary that we remind ourselves what we are doing as people, as individuals in life, what's life all about. Because sometimes I think we could get caught up in the, the chaos of living and forget what we're all about. But I also think it's necessary that we remind ourselves as a church what church is all about. Because once again, I think we can get caught up in the busyness of church and doing and being, coming and going, that we forget what we're really doing here. Now, there's no doubt this morning that our hope is that we encounter the Heavenly Father. That's our our goal. We want to encounter Him. That's why we come to church. The reason I come to church is to be built up because there's, there's something about church. Now, I know this morning that I don't have to have church. I can, I can meet with the Father at home. I can meet with the Father uh, in my car, in on my truck, and walking in the wilderness, wherever. But there's something about church. There's something about coming together as a body of believers. Amen. And, and coming together and doing church together, having this corporate experience with God. Some of the most powerful things that ever took place in the Bible took place when people were gathered in his name. Can you say amen? I think of the book of Acts. 
They were gathered in his name. They gathered together, and the Bible says they were in all in one accord, and they had mutual desire. They had mutual uh, 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 passion. And so something took place that was powerful. And so we know that when we come here, we come to experience him, and we long to see his hand in our lives. We, we want to experience his presence to forgive, to heal, to deliver. We need that. We want that. That's, that's what it's about. It's not, this is not some sort of religious clique that we want to come uh, together and just kind of go off into our little groups. This is, we're coming together as a family, as a body of believers, experiencing his presence. And, and, and you know what? That's such a wonderful thing. Listen to me, I, I am an absolute believer in the supernatural and I believe in the power of God and Holy Spirit and the evidence of all of that and I believe in those things, but that's not the goal. My goal is not to have an experience, so to speak. My goal is, that, you know, I haven't come here today just to simply uh, 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 go on the free ride, so to speak. I've come here to do business with the Father. I've come here and we're here today for a purpose. And I, I believe God wants to do something powerful. And as he does wonderful things in our life, it's, you know, those things are wonderful. But we must never this morning forget what God has called us to. We are called to so much more than just an experience. Now, once again, I want to make sure that you don't get me wrong. I think experiencing him is powerful. It's necessary. We love it. Uh, you know, you can go a long time on experiencing God, but you know, if God just simply wanted to be with us, there's so many, he could have, he could have just saved us and zip. We could have been like Enoch. We, you know, just zip out of here. You know, he just brought our, us into his presence, but the reality is he left us here for a reason <clears throat> because he wants us to do his bidding. Can you say Amen. There's something about living for God. One man said it this way, and I want you to listen to this. He said, we are not, he says, we are called to be fishers of men, not keepers of the aquarium. You know, now I, I looked that up. I, I got online and I wanted to find out who the originator of that was. I could never find the originator. There's literally hundreds and hundreds of people, writers and preachers and different people that have said that. But nonetheless, it's so true. We are called to be fishers of men, not keepers of the aquarium. And it's so easy at times to get caught up in just keeping the aquarium, creating an environment where we like it where we feel comfortable. And that's fine. I'm not against that. I'm not against those things. But we've got to understand that there's so much more. We are called to reach the lost. We are called to restore the broken and to release people into their destiny. There's so much more for us to do. The reality is the whole purpose of the supernatural and the purpose of all these things. You know, Jesus did, he advertised. When he healed the sick, people came to him. People came because he had something they needed. See, I wonder today if the church has something they need. And so God help us to be a powerless church. Can you say amen? But also help God help us if we have all the power in the world, but do nothing with it. 
Can you say amen to that? We, somewhere we've got to understand that God has a passion and his passion is souls. The Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Can you say amen? In fact, Jesus put it this way, speaking to his disciples. How many know last words are oftentimes very important words? And so some of the last words that Jesus spoke are in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all, na all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he tells them to go. He says, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all nations. How many know that if you read the Bible from Genesis chapter one, verse one, all the way to the end of Revelations, you're not gonna find a scripture he, that he commands us to build the church. In fact, what you're going to find is scriptures that says it's his job to build the church. In Psalms, it says, you know, except the Lord build the house, meaning the church, they that labor, labor in vain. It's God's job to build the church. It's our job to win souls. Can you say amen? amen? You know, there are three words on the wall in our foyer that I think sum up the vision of this church. Those words are grace, hope, and transformation. And you know what? These words are more than just mere decorations. We didn't just put them there so that we'd have some sort of, you know, filler. How many know what I'm talking about? We didn't, we didn't put them there because it looked good, because, it, you know, black letter, lettering on the kind of tan background, just it looks cool. It's not, we're, make, we're making a statement. We're drawing a line. These, these words describe the heart of all that we do as a body of believers. We do what we do everything that we do for one reason and one reason only, and that is for the one who desperately needs a savior, a healer, a deliverer. We do what we do for the one that is still lost, still lost in sin, still broken. We do it so they, like us, can come and receive grace, find hope, and experience transformation. We do what we do for the lost and the broken of this world. That's what we're about. Can you say amen? All the other stuff leads up to that. All the other stuff is about that one goal. And I think we should embrace that stuff. And I think that we should be involved in that stuff, but we should never allow that stuff to distract us from the mission. Can you say amen? In our text, Matthew chapter nine, <clears throat> starting in verse 35, Jesus says something important. It says, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now, I didn't do this in first service, but I want to do it here. I want you to stop right there for a moment. And I want you to listen to that statement. Jesus went and he preached the gospel. When he preached the gospel, the corresponding thing that followed the preaching of the gospel is every disease and every sickness was healed. Every. Amen. Underline every. Amen. Jesus modeled for you and I the work or the mission that he has called us to in the Great Commission. 
He said he went about and he healed them and he preached the gospel of the kingdom. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is describing today the greatest need of the church. The greatest need of the church today is men and women. It's laborers in the harvest field. It's for people to rise up and be who God has called them to be. I've always loved this portion of scripture. I can remember this passage of scripture all the way back to when I was pastoring the needles and before that. And I loved it because it reveals so much about Jesus. In my mind, it, it gives us a, 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 a real view, a, a very clear view of the heart of the Savior. We, we find Jesus in this passage doing what Jesus does. He's teaching, he's preaching, he's healing, he's bringing f freedom. But the Bible does not present him as this stoic, religious, mechanical, sterile, boring rabbi, but the Bible presents him as a man of passion. Listen to verse 36 again. It says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Now, the thing that grips me in that is that somewhere in the midst of Jesus's busyness, in the midst of ministry, he took time to look, to stop and to pay attention. I think so many times, I know in my life, the older I get, I'm finding a greater need to stop and pay attention. We get going so fast and we're so goal and oriented. We wanna get to the end, we wanna get through the day, we wanna get through the week, we wanna, you know, it's like the old song from the 80s, we're working for the weekend, you know, and we're, we're, we're moving on and that dates me, I understand. But you know what, somewhere along the line, what happens is we get going and we forget what's happening. Jesus took time and he stopped and he looked and the Bible says that he's moved. He's moved with compassion. There was a passion that was moving through him. He, he saw the, uh, their departure from God. He saw their depravity and sin. He saw their despair as people without a shepherd. Now, he didn't come as a judge. He didn't come to bring condemnation. He didn't come to hurt them or, or to condemn them. He came to seek them, to save them. And he, he saw them and he was moved by what he saw. In verse 37 and 38, it says, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. In effect, Jesus is saying to you and I, can you see it? Can you hear it? It's the call of the harvest. Church, you and I have been called. We have been sent, and we need to see the need and hear the call of the harvest. Can you say amen? Now, winning souls to Jesus should be our passion. It should be our passion. We, we can be passionate about a great many things, and, and in, in, Christendom, in, in Christianity as a whole, there are a lot of passions 
And there's a lot of people that have very, very uh, specific, very uh, um, um, intentional passions. They, they're, they're passionate about a great many things. But the one thing that is indispensable that God has called us to is to be passionate about souls. But for many, it's almost a forgotten expression. Listen to what I'm saying. For years, it was a tremendous motivating force in Christianity. I'm old enough and been in Christianity long enough to remember the days when most of the sermons that you would hear would be about soul winning. It would be about the context. Everything we talked about was in the context of soul winning. And it was in the context of, of getting out there and being fruitful and winning souls and presenting the love of Jesus. In fact, I remember when I used to go to conferences, the fellowship that we were part of years ago, we would go and on every Thursday night of the conference, they would show videos of the missionaries and you know they'd be overseas and some of them would be in the United States. And I would see those videos and of people getting saved and set free. And I'm telling you, it would move me. And it moved me to respond to the altar. And I would go down and I would cry out to God, God, use me. God, put me in the ministry. Use me. I had a passion. I could see it. I could see it. But it's easy. It's easy, even with that passion, to get caught up into the things of technology and programs and style and, and growth and all of this stuff that we do, creating environments where everybody's happy. The gospel is a confrontation, church. <clears throat> if we seek to make it comfortable, we will, bring, we will take God right out of it. Because I guarantee you, church, if Jesus showed up here right now, stood here, manifested in the physical right here, you would not be comfortable. Your flesh would quiver. You would fall to your face. The brightness of his glory you could not behold. But what we do is we, we spend lots of time and money and effort making things comfortable. Now, I don't, on the other side, I don't think that we ought to make things uncomfortable just because. I don't think we ought to run around and, and, and be mean and nasty and all of those things. I think that what we ought to do is serve God and serve man. I think we ought to love God with all of our heart and love man as ourselves. Can you say amen? But the problem is, is in the chaos of ministry, in the chaos of life, it's easy to forget about what we've been called to. And you know what? We can lose the emphasis of soul winning. We can lose it. But the problem is, is every Christian should be characterized by the passion to leave other, lead others to Christ. And the danger we face is that soul winning can become almost incidental in our lives. For many, it remains a goal in theory, but in practice, it's often not a priority. Come on. Surveys reveal that 90 to 95% of professing Christians have never shared their faith with a non-believer or have ever led anyone to Christ. That's staggering to me. Can you say amen? amen? That ought not to be so. A famous preacher was once asked one time, what do you consider the greatest thing a human being can do? 
And without hesitation, the famous preacher replied, the greatest thing of all is for one human being to bring another human being to Christ. That's the greatest thing. There's a lot of things that we do that are great things. There's a lot of stuff that's important, but there is none more important than being a soul winner. Proverbs puts it this way, Solomon writing, he says in 1130, in chapter 11, verse 30, he says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he that wins souls is wise. We need to rekindle our passion for souls. We need to pray, God, give me your eyes. Let me see this world like you see this world. Let me, let me feel like you felt. Jesus was moved with compassion. And the great thing about our text is Jesus wasn't just moved. In other words, he didn't just have an, an emotional moment. His emotions translated into action. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We need to feel the love for people again. We need to find that joy of leading someone to Jesus, the transforming experience of Christ. We need to taste <coughs> that experience again. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, soul winning is the chief business of the Christian minister. It should be the passion of every believer. I know this is not necessarily something that sets well with modern Christians, but nonetheless, it's true. Listen to me this morning. No Christian will ever be the person God has called them to be or what God wants you to be unless there exists a passion in their heart for people to come to Christ. See, many of the great men of God, the giant leaders of God's people in days gone by were marked with this kind of passion. John Knox, the great Scottish evangelist, constantly carried the burden for Scotland. Night after night, he prayed on the wooden floor of his home. When his wife pleaded with him to get some sleep, he answered, how can I sleep when my land is not saved? Knox would pray all night in agonizing tones, Lord, give me Scotland or I'll die. God shook Scotland, gave him Scotland because God respects such a passion for souls. Kathy and I had the opportunity one, one time of several years back to actually go to this man's house. And the street that his house overlooked, he had a a, a, a balcony that overlooked and he would kneel. They said that he would kneel and, and he would pray for people that were walking underneath his balcony. And you can see the place in the floor, the wooden floor where his knees wore the wood bare. That's moving. That's moving. Even royalty. They said, I'm not, the, I, I forget, I think it was Mary Queen of Scots that says, I'm not afraid of all the armies of England. However, I am very afraid of the prayers of John Knox. John Wesley, he exhorted his followers. He said, let all us be of one business. We live only for this, to save our own souls and the souls of those who hear us. Wesley cried, give me a hundred preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not whether they be clergymen or laymen. Such will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. 
William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, was asked by the King of England, what is the ruling force of your life? He replied, sir, some people's passion is for gold, other men's passion is for fame, but my passion is for the souls of men. Billy Graham uh, said this, my purpose in life is to help people find a personal relationship with Jesus, which I believe comes through knowing Christ. Countless millions of people came to Jesus because of this man. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9.22, he says, I've become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And Jesus said this in Matthew 18.11. He says, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What if this morning we had the same kind of passion in our world that they had in theirs? What kind of impact could we have on the world around us? I believe it would be immense. I believe we would change Kingman. I, I believe that we could change Arizona and the Southwest, and I dare say that we could change the world for Jesus. Can you say amen? Not everyone's called to be a William Booth. Not everyone's called to be a Billy Graham or Paul the Apostle, but every one of us is called to bear fruit. Every one of us is called to have the spirit within us that impassions us for the souls of men. Can you say amen? Your life may, may be involved in many great things of importance, but nothing is as important as you sharing your testimony, your life in such a way is to win somebody to Christ. Years ago, Dr. A.T. Pearson, a Presbyterian minister, told people how to receive this fiery passion for souls. He says, there is a secret fellowship with God where we get this heavenly fire kindled within us. It makes personal work for, our soul, for, for souls easy, natural, and at rest. To linger in God's presence until we see souls as he saw souls, to long over them, over them with deep desire. This passion for souls is probably the highest product of our spiritual communion with God. Listen, church, we have a relationship with the Father. We've walked into the Holy of Holies. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. We are in relationship with Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. But all of that today, yes, it is for us. Yes, it does uh, heal us and deliver us and set us free. But the Lord left us here with all of that so that we could win souls, so that we could see others come to that place where we are. We've got to spend time with God. What he's saying is we need to spend time seeking God, looking to him, praying for that passion. It's not going to sneak up on us and we're not going to one day just simply trip over it. We have to spend time. God, give me your heart for the lives of men and women. God, let me see like you saw. No one can kindle in himself that fire. It must come from a live coal from off the altar of God. Can you say amen? It's estimated, and, and once again, I'll put out the disclaimer. I'm not sure how they calculate this estimation. I'm certain that it's very basic math. In other words, they take the, 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 the world death rate and divide it by the number of people that they know or they think they know that are unsaved. And I, but, but it does stand to reason. But it's said that 97,000 people die every day without Jesus. 
I don't know how accurate that is, but it is staggering enough to know that it's happening. That people every day, people in Kingman, Arizona are dying every day without ever have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, when Jesus revealed the great commission to his disciples, he told them to go. He said in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But there's much more to this. It's a, it's a very significant phrase because literally it could be read this way. If you, if you translate it all out, it could be read, as you go daily into the world, preach the gospel. That's what Jesus did. He went daily preaching the gospel, healing the sick, and delivering the captive. That's what Jesus did. I haven't forgot my place. <laughs> Let me just say, can I take a detour? Is that okay? Do you know in the Bible, in the, old, in the, in the, in the Bible, there is no sinner's prayer? <clears throat> Jesus never pulled an altar call and says, okay, now everybody wants to accept me, raise your hand. And then they raise their hand and say, all right, come on up here, pray this prayer. They never did that in the Bible. What he did was he said, here's the gospel, now come follow me. And in the following, when they got up and they turned their heart from where they were going toward him, that was repentance. They followed him, that was when he, that was the act of salvation, okay? So following him is what we're doing. That's what we're about, we wanna follow him. What does that mean? That means I do what he did. What did he do? He went through the countryside preaching the gospel, healing the sick, and delivering the captive. That's what he did. He modeled for us what Christianity, what we are as Christians, Christ-like. Are you catching that? He modeled for us what we are to do in the world as we go daily. Look at church, I understand. Let me, let me just say this, and I, I, we're almost finished, so let me just say this. I understand not everybody has a bold personality. Some of us are more reserved. Some of us are cautious. Some of us are uh, less outspoken. I get that. We're not, we're not all supposed to be Paul the Paul. We're, we're not all supposed to be me. I'm not, all, I'm not supposed to be you. But we are all called. We can all minister. We can all preach the gospel. All of us can do something. Can you say amen? You know, the Bible tells us this. It says one waters, one sows, another harvests, but God gives the increase. God's all about the one making it grow. But we sow the seed, we water the seed, and we harvest the fruit. So there'll be days when you're sowing seed. There'll be days that you'll simply be in a grocery store uh, checkout line and the, and, the, and the checker is having a bad day. And maybe you look at her or him or whoever it is and you say, you know, you're doing a great job. Yeah. Do you understand that can be a seed? Maybe somebody, maybe, maybe you'll be sitting in a restaurant and somebody's, man, I just don't feel good. And you'll go, well, hey, I know one that can heal you. I know one that can set you free. And maybe they'll look at you and say, okay, and say, can I just pray a quick little prayer? Yeah. 
And you'll pray that prayer and they'll get healed. And they'll go, what is this? Is it, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Maybe there's one that's tormented in their mind. They, they're in deep depression or, or they're, 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 they're conflicted or, or whatever it might be. And you'll come with a word. You're sowing a seed. All of us can do something. Some of you will stand up on tables and preach the gospel because you're just that way. And that's okay. And if that's you, then carry on. Some of you may just simply give a smile. And if that's you, carry on. But be passionate about souls. Have souls in mind. Say, you know what? I, I, I can't keep this a secret anymore. I can't keep this on the inside. It, it's burning. <coughs> Are you hearing me? We need to be soul winners. We need to be people that, that share the gospel. As I close this message, I want to share a story with you that many, you, many of you may have heard before. I'm sure you haven't heard all the details in this story, so I want to give them to you. But I want you to listen to this story because it's a story that is significant in its power of a faithful witness. See, I think that's part of the problem is, is we think we're insignificant. If you are a child of God, there is never a day you're insignificant. Do you understand that? Never. He goes, no, I'm just one of the seven billion people on the planet. Yeah, but you're one of God's children on the planet. And that's significant. He said, well, I haven't seen much for my labor. I don't see much for my efforts. I understand sometimes we don't always see the fruit of it. I was thinking about Abram. Remember Abram? He became Abraham. I was thinking about him. When he was given the promise, he was told that he would be the father of many nations. And he wasn't until he was 100 years old before the promise came. And in all of his living, he only had two children. That's, when I calculate that out, that's not a nation. It's, it's two. But now we look back and we can see that Abraham was in fact the seed of more than we could ever count because of God's promise. We may not always see it in this lifetime, but if we don't see it, we cannot discount it. Now, I believe, church, that God wants us to see. I believe he gives us glimpses into the future and into the moment. And he allows us to see some things. But we got to have that by faith. But I want you to listen to this story today because this expresses the power of a faithful witness. It's about a man that you probably never have heard of before. But he has done more to affect the last 165 years of Christianity than probably anyone else. His name was Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher, a man of prayer, and a man with a passion for souls. His Sunday school class was often filled with rowdy boys and difficult cases. 
There was one particular young man in his class that was especially difficult. He would frequently fall asleep during the class. He was hard to reach. And this young man seemed completely disinterested. Yet Mr. Kimball remained faithful to the word and continued to witness to him. On April 21st, 1855, Edward Kimball visited the Holton Shoe Store, found the young man in a stock room, and there spoke to him about the love of Jesus. Shortly thereafter, that disinterested, difficult young man received Jesus as his savior and de devoted his life to serving God. That young man's name was D.L. Moody. Moody became the greatest evangelist of his time. In his lifetime, Moody touched two continents for God with untold thousands of people coming to Jesus. On June 17, 1873, Moody arrived in Liverpool, England for a series of crusades. The meetings went poorly at first, but then the dam burst and blessing began to flow. Moody visited a, a Baptist pastor, a scholarly man that was very resistant to American preachers. But soon this staunch English pastor was transfixed and transformed by Moody's message. His life was touched by the Holy Spirit through Moody's preaching. So much so that he came to the United States and he brought revival with him. That man was the great theologian F.B. Meyer. We still read his books today. Meyer was preaching in a college and at the chapel service, his sermon was about surrender. And he says, if you cannot tell God you are willing to give him everything, then ask him to make you willing to be willing. A struggling minister, discouraged and beaten down, was in the audience that day and said to him, said to himself, he's talking to me. I've been ready to quit, to give up and to get out of the ministry. That man was touched by God and God used him in a mighty way. The struggling minister was J. Wilbur Chap Chapman. Chapman began to look for somebody to help him in his evangelistic work. He found a professional baseball player, a young man converted from a life of drunkenness in Chicago and his name was Billy Sunday. When Chapman got old, he turned the work and the equipment of the ministry over to Sunday and Billy Sunday became a world famous evangelist. He was in his generation what Billy Graham was in our generation. And in 1924, Sunday preached a citywide crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina. And out of that revival meeting, a group of men formed a men's prayer group to pray for the world. They prayed for Charlotte to have another great revival. As a result of that prayer meeting, God sent another evangelist named Mordecai Ham. Ham went to Charlotte in 1934 to hold a crusade. Under the big tent, there was a young man 15 years old, and his name was Billy Graham. Billy Graham was converted. And dedicated his life to telling other people about Jesus. 
It's estimated that under Billy Graham's ministry, 200 million Two hundred million people came to Jesus. Countless millions, untold, uncountable, millions of people were touched by the gospel of Jesus because a simple, unknown, unassuming Sunday school teacher with a passion for souls made it his business to witness to a shoe salesman. When you tell the story in the beginning in the end it doesn't really sound all that glamorous until you figure out what God did and like I said earlier I don't know what God has done in you and what flavor of minister you are Billy Sunday was a wild man he was crazy I mean he, he was just stark crazy there was a story, I read his biography, and there's a story about he was in some city back east, I forget, I think it was Chicago or somewhere. And he's preaching revival in the church, and he preaches the first sermon, he gets done, he doesn't pull an altar call, he runs through the altar and jumps out a window, runs down the street. <laughs> the next night, the crowds double. He preaches the same sermon, runs across the altar, jumps out the window and runs down the street. Next night, third night, crowds double again. Everybody wants to see the crazy preacher. This is back before internet. Finally, somebody asked Billy Sunday, they said to him, they said, why are you preaching the same sermon? He goes, when you get it, I'll stop. I'm not so sure that that's like really good policy. I think, I think if I did that and just ran out the door right there and went home, I'm not sure that you'd all be back next week. I'm, that takes a faith that I probably don't have. But it, I don't have to be Billy Sunday. I, I don't have to be Billy Graham. I don't have to be anybody else. I have to be me. And all I have to do is share the love of Jesus. And you know what, church? We're going into 2020 and... You know, I watch a lot of churches. I'm always looking at different services and I'm listening to different preachers. And one of the things that I find that is somewhat disconcerting is I watch big churches, watch what they do. And I'm always amazed, you know, these really big ones, you know, 25, 30,000 people. They're cities. I don't even, I can't even, I don't even, my mind don't even, but I watch churches 4,000, 5,000, 6,000, 8,000, and they pull an altar call and one or two people will raise their hand. And I wonder, in the midst of all of that, I wonder, you know, it's great. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful that thousands of people are going and being ministered to and taught and all of that. But church, if all we're being is taught and nothing's happening, something's wrong. I remember a story about a guy, he, he went, invested, and he bought an oil well. And for 30 years, he ran the well and kept it up and did all this stuff. Well, finally, one day a neighbor came by and said to the man, says, you know, for 30 years, I've watched you maintain this oil well. And I've watched you uh, uh, do all the things and all of that. He goes, but never once have I ever seen you sell any oil or, or distribute any oil. And the man says, yeah, I know. He goes, it takes all the oil I pump 
to run the pump. And sometimes, church, that's what Christianity ends up being. It, it takes everything we do just to do what we do. And church, what we've got to do is we've got to break out of that. We, you know, I'm not saying those other things are wrong. They're not. I embrace them. I love it. I love that. I want that. I, I, I want all the doodads. I, I want to feel the goosebumps and, you know, whatever. I, I like that. But that ain't why I'm here. It's not what I gave my life for. I don't know if it's I'm just getting old and maybe I'm in a midlife crisis. I don't know, but I, I, somewhere I'm asking, what's all this about? I'm 31 years in ministry and I'm, I'm coming to a place and I'm going, God, what's it about? What are we doing? I'm tired of the politics. How many know what I'm talking about? I'm tired of playing the games. I love Jesus. I want his word and I want him. And I want to share that with as many people as I can. And I know this, I know this, I know when God comes on the scene, it changes everything. It changes everything. <clears throat> and so what I ask you today as we close this service is that this year, make a commitment with me that you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to slow down enough to start paying attention. <clears throat> and I'm going to speak some words that are designed to be intentional seeds. I'm going to water some seeds that others have sown, and I'm going to harvest some fruit that others have planted because I'm going to be a soul winner in the kingdom. Can you say amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, God, for your revelation. We thank you for all that you're doing. I pray, Lord, that, God, that you would begin to speak to us, challenge us, God, that you, God, would birth within us that passion. God, that we would not get so busy that we forget about ministering to people and witnessing and sharing the love of Jesus, that, that Lord, that we would be soul winners. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would go forth from this place. Lord, we send you out. Lord, we pray that you go out drawing hearts, God. And Lord, even as your word says in the book of Acts, that you would add to the church daily as we're being saved. Father, that salvations would be common. Lord, that new people would come. And Lord, all of, the, all of the corresponding things that we need to do, Lord, God would be provided for. Lord, that you'd make a way where it seems there's no way. Father, birth in us, God, a passion for souls. And Father, we're careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Just recently, a, a man passed away, another evangelist. His name was Reinhard Bunke. Went to be with Jesus in heaven. And that last count, they claim 78 million convert cards from Africa. You know, I think about that and I, I think about just the passion. Oh, church. We can, we can come and go and be completely unaffected or we can be all that God would have us to be. But we have to make a decision. Can you say amen?
we have to say, I'm going to step up. And like I said, it, I'm not asking you to go stand on the table at Denny's and preach. And if that's you, then carry on. But I think most of us probably just can speak a kind word. Truly love people. Don't judge them. Don't get caught up in all of this stuff. Don't, it's, it's all stuff. It's just, there's another word for stuff, but I can't say it from the book. No, you can't. But what we've got to do is we've got we to gotta focus. We've got to be deliberate. And, give, and, and just say, you know what, God? We need souls. And let me tell you something. I'm going to say this and we'll go, I promise. When we start seeing those kind of salvations, it's going to get a little messy. If you've had children, raise your hand. You know having children is a little messy. It's no different in the kingdom. But I believe God will pour himself out upon us if we'll do that. Can you say amen? Why don't you stand to your feet all across this place? <clears throat> our prayer team is coming, our ministry team. If you have a need of any kind, come on up. We, we, we do this, we have the ministry team come up because we want to provide a, a place where you can be ministered to, where you can be prayed for. So if you have a need of any kind, come on up and let them minister to you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.